0: Brilliant. Well, open your Bibles, please. Uh, have them open if you can this morning. Mark chapter 13. It's a passage which has parallels in Matthew and Luke. And most of the time, it's one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. We're going to nail it this morning. That's, a, that's an ambition, isn't it? <laughs> it's perhaps too big a promise. But I think we're going to nail it this morning. Um, one of the things that Ernie taught me was to have a plan. Okay? Ernie loved a plan, and over history, over time, I've not loved a plan, and I've learnt from, from Ernie the better way. Plans make things easier, and you don't have to make decisions on the fly. So over the last three years, from sort of 2019 to 20, um, we've been working our way through the four Gospels. Um, so we had a Matthew year It started in um, September 2019, I think. And we were doing Matthew and at Christmas and Easter. And then the plan was that the next year we would do Mark Christmas and Easter. And then the plan was that this year we would do Luke Christmas and Easter, except that COVID threw a huge um, spanner in the works. Um, but even so, a plan is a good thing because it helps you know what you were intending to do when you end up not doing what you were intending to do. So for this Easter, this is a Mark year. Um, when we get to Christmas, I've completely lost track. I think actually then it's the John year. But anyway, for the moment, we're, because we did Luke in the run up to last Easter, because it seemed a, a more straightforward thing to do in the circumstances. So this year is Mark. And I'd like us to get through the whole of Mark between now and Easter. That doesn't mean I'm going to preach on it all, because it's impossible. Um, But I'd like us to read it all as far as possible um, between uh, now and Easter. Only we're just kind of one week too short. So I might ask you in home groups later on to read a couple of chapters of of Mark to fill it in and then uh, we'll do that. Because um, every so often, so I was at an EFCC fraternal on Monday and somebody, uh, there's a verse that comes up every so often. It's 1 Timothy 4.13. Where Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And it comes up in fraternals every so often, and, and ministers say, oh, I, I kind of, I, you don't remember this, um, and, but I've never seen anybody do it. I've heard it a lot and never seen anybody do it. So we're going to do it. Um, we're going to read um, Mark uh, between, now and, between now and Easter. That will include a Good Friday service. A chunk of that will be uh, a Good Friday service. Um, you, you realize that the resurrection accounts in Mark are really short, um, and so that leaves us kind of, um, well, actually, and we're about two chapters a Sunday, anyway. Long story short. But again, there's been a bit of a spanner in, in the works because the world turns around us, and uh, events happen across countries. Um, and Ukraine has been invaded by Russia. So we're going to take a chunk of Mark out of sequence today. Um, we're going to take um, Mark 13. And it'll help you, I think, have your Bibles open. It will come up on the screen, but easier to look in the text because I want you to have a, an overview of it. And I want you to look, look out in this passage for the different ways um, Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks. And really look out for two things. Jesus, note in this passage, Jesus is asked two questions. Jesus is asked two questions and he gives two answers. And in his answers, I want you to look out for one of his answers. He's talking about these things or these days. And in the other part of his answers, he's talking about those days or that thing. And you might think, Nick, you're building a a whole load on a kind of slight change of words. Well, it's not so slight uh, in the Greek. So in the Greek, for these or these things, is tauta. Um, And the word (laughs) for those is ekinos. So you have to... You have to be careful because you're trying to uh, spot the difference between these and those, but there are significantly different words in the Greek. So look out for two questions, two answers, look out for these things, and look out for those days as we read it. <coughs> Let's give it a go. The context is Jesus is leaving the temple. So in chapter 11, he's entered Jerusalem. He's been in the temple, and chapter 13, he's leaving the temple. Here we go. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him... Sorry, I have to have a good call. Always come sooner or later on the Sunday morning. I apologize. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what, mag- what massive stones, what magnificent buildings... Do you see these great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Later, I think, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those days of distress, uh, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. The Lord had not cut short those days. No one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah. or look, there he is. Don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything in advance. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that someone's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Father God, help us um, understand these words of your son. Jesus, be with us by your spirit uh, to open our eyes and to help us understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh man! So Ian's going to pop my PowerPoint up and we're going to try and and, and follow me as I go along. So if we go on to the next slide. So the question is, for us this morning, what is the relation of these days, these days in which we are living, these days in which Russia has invaded Ukraine, what is the relation of these days to that day? By that day, I mean the day when Jesus returns. How do we relate these days of war? What do we take from this? When we're looking forward to that day when um, Jesus returns. Yeah, do grab your sermon notes and the red words come up in the paper. Well, Jesus answers this question, or he answers a very similar question uh, from his disciples in Mark 13. The context, they're leaving the temple. Which is significant on its own. Jesus, he's entered Jerusalem. He's been hailed by the people as Messiah, which events we remember and will do on Palm Sunday. He's been into the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the animal sellers in the temple. He's denounced the Jewish leaders directly and in parables. And now he's leaving the temple. And the curse on the fig tree is really the the sign that that temple way of worship is done with with what Jesus is about to do. But as they're going, one of the disciples um, comments on the massive stones. Herod was determined to build something of amazing magnificence. I think it had been, uh, been on the go for about 50 years, and the temple, Herod's temple still wasn't finished. Um, but one of the disciples looks at these stones and says, look at this, Lord, this is amazing. And Jesus says, "A day is going to come when it'll all be torn down. He's predicting the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple by the Romans in AD 70. A little while later, though, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. So that's kind of there's a valley between them and they're overlooking um, Jerusalem. And the disciples ask him um, two questions, two questions. When will these things happen? When will these stones be all thrown down? And then they said, What would be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? If you read that in Matthew, um, Matthew, oh, I can't remember it offhand, Matthew clarifies that a little bit. And they're very obviously the two questions in Matthew. And it may be that even the disciples at the time didn't entirely understand that they were asking. Um, Two questions. So Matthew 24. They say, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will this happen, this throwing down of Jerusalem, and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? Two questions. Maybe the disciples don't understand that. Um, But Jesus' answer is very clearly... It has to be, ultimately, in, in two parts. because how otherwise do we reconcile that Jesus says, "These things, um, well, these things will happen before your generation passes away." Uh, and at the same time, um, he, he gives a clear indication of, of his return um, coming on the clouds. And and how do you reconcile those two things? And then again, how do you reconcile the other two things? The the one uh, little parable he says, which you can tell when these things are going to happen. And he says, and these other things you, you cannot tell because even I don't know. How do we reconcile those two? There's only one way, I think, to reconcile them. And that is that Jesus takes this as two questions and he gives two answers. So... Let's have a look at the characteristics of these days. So I think in verses, on the, that's it, on the next slide, in verses five to 13, Jesus is talking about what these days will be like. And he says, watch out that no one deceives you. He says there'll be false messiahs claiming I am he, he says you will hear of wars and, and rumors of wars. There will be wars that ultimately will come and involve you. There will be wars that are heard far away that, you, that you, you only hear of. And he says, but the end is still to come. So false messiahs and wars and rumors of wars are not signs of the end. He says nations will rise against nations. I think that's the same as wars. He says there will be earthquakes and there will be Famines. And he says these are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. So they're, they're the beginning of an era of pain that will end in the second coming. See, one of the things that, about labor, having a child, is that at the very end, you don't know how long it's going to last. Certain Nathan John Gray, I don't think we knew when he was about to come that it would take the best part of 24 hours um, for him to arrive. But you know that labor is there. You know he's coming. You just don't know how long it's going to be. And you just do know that it's going to hurt. And that's what these wars are. They're the beginning of the birth pains, but you don't don't know how long the labor is going to last. In that time, the disciples will be hauled before the authorities, and they need to be ready for that. Um, but when they're brought before, uh, brought before them, they're not to worry because the Holy Spirit will give them words. That's not an excuse for, like, lazy preaching preparation or um, people speaking without preparation. It's about persecution. Um. But there is something that must happen before the end will come. And Jesus says, if I can find it, lost it. But the gospel must be preached to all nations before the end comes. I think there it is, verse 10. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. And he says, brother will betray, <clears throat> excuse me, brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents. Um, families will be split by persecution. So the kids did um, some material from Open Doors, and there's a a really um, tragic and somewhat harrowing set of of videos. Um, uh, And one tells the story of a Saudi girl who was blogging, and she was blogging about her newfound faith in Christ. Um, And her brother found it, found her computer. And I think he, if I remember rightly, he cut her tongue out and he killed her. Those are birth pains, birth pains Labor has started. Labor is always painful. Um, you don't know how long it's going to be. So these are the characteristics of these days. These things, Jesus says. But then he turns, and I think in verse 14, he turns um, to the characteristics of, of those days. You see, there, he doesn't call them those days until verse 20. Um, But I think it's clear that at this point, he's changed his focus. He's not talking about what's happening in general around the disciples. He's looking um, to the future. And he starts by talking about the abomination that causes desolation. We haven't got time to go into this in detail. It's a little phrase that's alluded to or appears three times um, in Daniel as a prophecy of the desecration of the Jewish temple. And certainly something like that happened under Antiochus IV, he was a, a Greek ruler, and he set up a statue of Zeus um, in, uh, in, in the temple in Jerusalem in 168 BC. And one set of, of Jewish writings, in Maccabees, I think afterwards causes that calls that the abomination that causes desolation. So I think what Jesus is using here is using this he's using this phrase to uh, to allude to something that is coming in the future. It could be that he's talking about um, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but actually what happens in in the next um, few verses doesn't actually match with what happened um, in 70 AD. And it certainly sounds even worse. It, it It was a dreadful time when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, but this sounds even worse. Listen to it. I think it's the time, it's a a great time of trial and tribulation, especially for Christians, which is, is yet to come. He says, those will be days of distress, unequaled. Unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world till now, and never to be equaled again. So he's talking about a time of distress and tribulation and Sounds like the pouring out of God's anger, isn't it? That, that is almost unsurvivable. If the Lord had not cut short those days, nobody would survive. Nobody would survive to hear that. So there's going to be an awful, awful time uh, of trial and tribulation to come, which is almost unsurvivable. But for the sake of the elect, um, Jesus says, he, he has shortened them. And then he says there'll be false messiahs, and they will deceive, if possible, even the, the elect. There will be almost unsurvivable trouble. There will be almost unresistible deception. And then he says the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. There will be events in the, in the skies, in the heavens, around us. And then Jesus will return. The son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect. And we stop there, note for the moment, of verse 27. So put those two things together. This is the next slide. War, famine, natural disasters, persecution are, the char- are characteristic of these days. It, we're in labour, but we don't know how long the labour is going to last. We do know what has to happen. And that is that the gospel has to go to all nations before the end comes. That's these days. But then there will be that day, those days, when there will be a time of tribulation. Defeated quickly by the return of Christ in glory, signs in the heavens. I think actually it, it mirrors the pattern in Revelation 6 and 7. But let's not go there for today. So do you see Jesus has talked about these things and he's talked about those days. And then how do we spot then these days? Well, I think in verse 28, Jesus goes and talks about these things. You can see it again in verse 29. He's changed his language. How do we spot um, these days? It's Next slide. Well, Jesus says you, you spot these days in, in a really s- simple way. He says, you, you know, how, you, how do you spot that spring's coming? I wonder whether you've got signs of spring around the garden, have you? What, what's happened? Um, we've got kind of crocuses that come up through the lawn and have got no idea how they got there. They'll get mowed before long. They'll kind of, uh, when I finally find the energy, or rather, Leslie will find the energy more often, Sad so to say, good girl, you um, actually mow the lawn. So, how far along with these things, in other words, this destruction of Jerusalem, when will these things happen? And Jesus says, Well, you just look around you. Look around you. He says, you, You'll know when these things are happening. How Roman armies will start moving. You, you don't need any special knowledge, like the way you know it's spring because things sprout up through the grass. You'll know they're coming because you'll see them coming. It's really straightforward. So spotting these days, spotting the coming destruction of Jerusalem is really straightforward. But, verse 32, um, how do we spot that day? How do we spot those days? Look at uh, Jesus has changed his language again. But about that day or hour, no one knows. No one knows. How how could Jesus have torn? you know, one minute he says, look, look, you'll see it. It's spouting. And then he says about that day. He's talking about two different things. About that day, no one knows. Not the angels. Not the son. Only the father. And he tells a different little parable. It says it's like you've, it's like your servants in a big house. Um, You can imagine Downton Abbey, maybe not quite that big, you know, and, and you're the doorkeeper. Um, or, or maybe some of you are kind of like, you know, the maids who, who keep the bedroom and, uh, and you need the kind of the bed ready um, when it's come back. But you need, but they'll all be looking out the windows. When is the master coming home? Because they need to have everything ready. He's going to want a meal. So the cooks have to be ready for the, get the meal on the table. Um, he's going to want his bed ready to, to, to sleep in. But Jesus says, no one knows when he's coming back. It could be, um, what does he say? It could be evening. It could be midnight. It could be the small hours of the morning. It could be, it could be tomorrow. No one knows. And the only way of dealing with a situation where you don't know when someone's coming back is to be always ready If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. It doesn't mean we can't have our normal cycles of things. But he's saying you have to be spiritually awake. And he says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Watch. These things you can spot from coming. Jesus coming it's much more difficult to spot if at all even Jesus doesn't know so all you can do is watch and be ready so it begs a question could Jesus come again today could Jesus come again today tomorrow well from this passage if we will go to mark alone the only thing that happens that we know needs to happen between then and Jesus returning is that the gospel has to go to all nations 190-odd countries in the world. <coughs> Who's to say it's not already gone to all, all those countries of the world. There are apparently about 7,000 unreached people groups. But a lot of that definition of unreached is, is a place where there are less than 2% Christians. So the gospel's already gone to those. So about 3,000 is the estimate of, uh, of people groups that are completely um, unreached. But what does Jesus mean by nations? Given the technology that exists today, so the Bible is being preached uh, by radio into all kinds of areas which it couldn't reach. Given the definition of nations, that we can't be sure what is Jesus' definition of nations? Is it every country on the earth? Given the way that messages can be spread through technology, a really dangerous assumption to say that the Bible has not already gone to all nations on that basis could Jesus return today I think it's a strong possibility another sign not in here but in Romans 11 is a hope that there will be a mass turning of Jews um, to Christ um, before the end comes and they will be grafted back in um, to the tree that is, the, that is now the church, is God's people. But it's not the clearest passage in the Bible, and I think it would be dangerous to use that, to say that Jesus could not return today. And the other signs from the Bible, we're expecting a man of lawlessness, we're expecting somebody who will be the ultimate uh, person setting themselves up uh, against Christianity. We're expecting a great tribulation expecting signs in the heaven, but we're expecting Jesus to come and, and to destroy that man and, and to end that tribulation. We're here, we're here, we've just read, it's cut short. How long would it take those things to happen then? It could happen any time. It could be over in a, in a day or two. It, we could be overwhelmed with the, the speed of those. Events. So it could be that the gospel's already gone to all nations, that we've misunderstood Romans 11, and that God is just bringing Jews um, into into His kingdom through Christ, and He has been doing. And these other signs could start at any moment. And would they find us? Would they find us ready? So, what about Ukraine? What does that what does that mean? So that's the next slide. I want to show you a little graph. There's, if you go to this place, Our World in Data, there have, they are have some really uh, really interesting graphs. And I, I'll briefly explain that to you. That is um, <coughs> percentage of years in which the great powers fought one another. Over time, there have been very, various great powers. Uh, France and England have always been great powers, but at different times, China, USA, Germany, Prussia, Russia stroke, USSR. Japan, Ottoman Empire, Spain. Um, so this is a measure of whether the great powers were, were at war. And actually, since the 1500s, uh, the amount of time that the great powers have, have been at war with one another has largely decreased. I'm just trying to make the point that wars are they're part of the norm for these days. You can't even say that wars are increasing. Uh, different measures you can use, they have other graphs on there. You can't even say that wars, that, that wars have increased. Can't even say that the number of people killed in war has increased, so don't use it as a sign of the end. It's distressing, it's worrying, but it's not a sign War in Ukraine is not a sign of the end. It's a sign that we're in this labor pains time, but we don't know how long the labor's gonna last. But other aspects of these labor pains are disease. I've had COVID. COVID has been a global disease like like few others. Natural disasters. Global warming is a natural disaster like few others. They are they are global and I'm not all I'm going to say. So this period is labor pains. In which those things are normal. And Ukraine is in many ways just a normal war in this context. But some of the other signs have been really big. How do we respond anyway? This is the important bit. Wake up. That's the main thing. Don't fall asleep on the job. We have a job to do. Have a job to do in this time, and and that is to see that the gospel goes to all nations. We still have a a, a job to do, which is to communicate um, the gospel to people. God has been at work in these last couple of weeks. But some of you don't even know that. Because you weren't paying attention or you weren't there or you didn't get involved or you didn't turn up to the prayer meetings really sorry to say that to you because we're um, Saints Kong is a great church it's a great place to be but we ain't half a bit sleepy Corners. there are corners where people are dozing off because they're not paying attention and getting involved in the, in the core activities um, of the church. So we're like a big house. We're like a Downton Abbey where there's somebody running around madly in the kitchen making sure the food's always on, there's somebody on the door keeping watch, but in the rooms, in the corners, there are people just gently going to sleep. And it's not time for that. Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Watch. You can't go to sleep in your little room in the corner. You have to be connected to the information at the heart of the church and, and what's going on. And you have to be part of. So when we say put a, put a tract in your back pocket, and carry it around with you and pray for opportunities, you can't say, oh, that doesn't that's not me, I don't get involved in those kind of things. Or when we say we're gonna pray for mission, you can't say that's me, I don't do things on Sunday afternoons. If, if that is what you're doing, then you, you, you're hiding in your room and, and, and dropping off. You need to be awake as a household. Associated with that then is getting your fear in the right place, isn't it? We need to fear the Lord. We need to fear the Lord. Not fear these other things. War, famine, natural disasters, persecution are normal. But we've been insulated in them for the UK for a long time. It would be a little bit hypocritical to say... Oh, now we're really worried. The end is coming because there's, war there's finally war in Europe. Well, there's been war around the world. There has been, there has been persecution um, across the world. Your brothers and sisters across the world are, are, are under, undergoing persecution and war and famine. It would be a bit hypocritical to say, oh, no, the end, the end is coming now because war is suddenly on our doorstep. Well, it's been on their doorstep, somebody's doorstep since the day of Christ. And there's a danger because it's not been on our doorstep that we go a bit soft and we go a bit quiet. But even so, we don't fear. We fear Putin, we fear God. And we do this, this key thing, we spread the gospel. So please, look, there's a load more of those. <laughs> there's a load more of those booklets. And there's some new ones by Rico Tice. They, they seem to have all gone. I'll check whether there's any more. Put something in your back pocket and pray for, pray for opportunities. This is a job we have together. This is our job as a church. This is, this is your job. We need to use our talents. What can we do with the land we've been given? We, how can we put this land to a kingdom use? God, got to not let us distract from the core task of reaching people with the gospel, but we can't ignore it. And then when we've got those things in the right place, then we can pray for governments. If you've read, I wonder how many people read the New Testament through recently? It's part of you Bible reading. Uh, Who would like to give me an idea of how often, how often the, uh, the New Testament talks about? How, how often does it talk about governments? Where, where does the New Testament talk about governments? Go on then. 1 Timothy, yeah. 1 Timothy 2, any more? Romans 13. Romans 13, thank you. you think of any others? I can't think of any others, really. 1 Timothy 2, Romans 13, 1 Timothy 2. I, I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. Godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God, our saviour, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We are to, pray to, we are to pray for governments, 1 Timothy 2. And we want governments to allow us to live godly and quiet lives. We want governments to butt out, basically, um, of, of our Christian lives. And in Romans 13, what Paul actually says is you should abate your government. Um, because that's their job, they have a God-given job to keep order. New Testament has very little interest in governments. We kind of tend to spend, I think, quite a lot of our worry and our time thinking about it. Yes, in a democracy it makes sense to be part of the answer to our own prayers. Um, And organisations like the Christian Institute and CARE should be supported. Uh, in prayer and financially, uh, to do what they do, which is lobbying governments and keeping governments honest. And we should pray for governments, but do you realise what that prayer is for? So that we can live uh, quiet Christian lives without interference and to get on with telling the gospel to people, that's our prayer. So it's good to be informed, because that information lets you know where other people are at. When you're having gospel conversations with you, it'll make you aware that um, war in Ukraine might give you a gospel opportunity. But if this stuff worries you, give you permission to turn the TV off and go and read the Bible instead. Okay, let's try and conclude, draw this together. These things, you notice, go back if you need to. Go back this afternoon, I encourage you, go back and just look at the, the different passages and how it splits up. These things, war, famine, disasters, persecution, are the norm until Jesus returns. They've been the norm for your brothers and sisters across the world in different countries, Afghanistan, North Korea, Pakistan, Indonesia, all the time. They are the norm. It is labor pains, but we don't know how long the labor is going to last. Why are we suddenly concerned um, about that? Why are we suddenly concerned about about war in Ukraine when there are 4.3 million children in the UK living in poverty? Three in 10 children in the the UK um, live in poverty. If you want to be concerned about something, there are 2010, uh, two, sorry, 211,000 abortions in England and Wales in 2020, which is the highest since records began. If we believe life consists of a conception, why are we not concerned about that? We need to be awake. Or maybe it makes this kind of threat to, to wake us up a threat to our own country to to wake us up to what our Christian responsibilities really are. Maybe it needs a threat to our bank balance. Energy prices will be higher before we kind of wake up. But what we need to wake up to is not global events. What we need to wake up to is is our responsibility to the Lord. his gospel and the people who are going to eternal punishment when Jesus returns wake up this is just the norm wake up and watch because Jesus could return and he could return soon we need to be ready ready for that day.